0: As you've, as you've heard, I spent a week at camp, um, and it was awesome. It was fun. It was exhausting, but great. I don't know if you have ever gone to camp or spent a lot of time with particularly um, middle school girls, <laughs> but there's a frequency at which they can speak for long periods of time. I think it's the only frequency that they speak at that only youth pastors... Probably parents and certain types of animals can hear, but needless to say, it's high pitched. Um, no, I'm kidding. They were great. They were. If, if I'm talking about your daughters, I'm. I'm very sorry. Uh, they were awesome. They were awesome. Actually, uh, I didn't hear much of that at all. Um, my wife, Amy Gay, and Emily Hassel had a room connected with. They thought it would be. This would be a genius maneuver, as if they said, "You know what? We're all going to." get in this room, we're going to leave the open door to the room connected, and we're going to just jam all the middle school girls into one room. Now, me and my wisdom thought, fantastic, y'all go ahead and do that. I'm going to divide and conquer. So we separated our leaders, and I had a few middle schoolers, and somebody had a few high schoolers, and we kind of did it like that, kept them calm. But you jam them all into one room, it's kind of explosive, and they found (laughs) that out. But it was fun. If you've ever been to camp, one of the things that happens when you go to camp is pranks, right? Right? I mean, have you ever been to camp? I mean, it's like the pranks are on full on. You know, at home, you might do a little thing, you know, squirt some water on some people. Um, Thanks, Austin Rice. You might do some funny things, but when when you get to camp, the, the volume goes up a little bit with the pranks, and things happen a little bit more. Now, there's most of the pranks, unfortunately, I can't even mention from up front because unbelievable what some of the students did to me and some of the people in my room. But, I mean, we had people packing gear. I mean, they had, like, extra bags, I, did, I found out later, with, like, wire and little things, explosives. And, you know, I have an expectation. I've been working in student ministries for a while. But, but, yeah, this was a little bit off the chart. And I'm going to show you a picture of just some of it. I don't even know if you can see what's going on. See, students like to challenge themselves When they walk into a room and they see middle schoolers sleeping, that's Zach Swain. I I apologize. I don't even know if he's here this morning, but I don't know if you've ever played Jenga. But they decided to play Jenga with Oreos and see how many they could get stacked. And they had a plan, too. It's like they they had a cookie, you know, a big base cookie. And then they had the extra cookies and they began to stack them. Let's go to the next and see how high they got. That's pretty good. I was pretty impressed with what was going on there. That's... I, was, I can't tell you how hard I was laughing. It was like 2.30 in the morning. We had just gotten back, the high schoolers had just gotten back from playing volleyball until 2.30, and we won, we dominated. Um, and then we did that, which is great. <laughs> Flip to the next slide. This is what happens if you let your little tootsies hang out of the sheet at night. I don't know if you can tell, it's uh, nail polish on a nice foot. Thanks, Chris, for hanging that out for us to paint. But camp, to say the least... It's fun. It's awesome. There's many great things that I can say about just going to the hotel room. We were on right on the beach in, in Daytona Beach at the Hilton, um, and it was it was a fun, exciting time. But one of the things um, that, um, that I experienced was way beyond the pranks, and, and Amy talked a little bit about it, and it was just sitting in a room with 7,000 teenagers, 7,000 teenagers that, you know, don't have the perspective of a 37-year-old or many of you. And for some reason, I looked at them and I was like, man, there's something, an energy that's going on here. And I, I, know, I, I know that it's a different at camp. It's like you go to camp and everything's different and everybody's going to go for it. But it wasn't just those David Crowder moments. You know, everybody's jumping up and down and doing their thing in worship. It was these reverent moments in worship when I saw students just going for it with God, where they, they got it. They understood the presence of God in a way that I thought, you know, why is that not an every minute thing for them? And why is it not an every minute thing for us? Why are we not awestruck in that way all the time? And I was, try, I was trying to wrap my mind around that. And you know what, today, to be honest with you, I don't know if I'm going to come with any answers to figure that out. You know, because I, I know some of you, even during worship today, you're looking at certain people and you're going, look at that weirdo that's doing his deal and going on. What is, what is he thinking about? What's in his mind? What's he, you know, what, what has happened to him that's different than me and not that everybody's expression of worship has to be doing cartwheels in the aisles or, you know, slinging the tambourine. But there's, there's this awe of God that I think sometimes we miss out on. And um, I got some, some pictures I just want to show. I'm going to deviate from what I'm talking about right now. Um, this is my son. It's the picture sideways, but you, you'll, you'll be able to get the picture. Now, kids dig ice cream. I don't know if you know that about children, especially three-year-olds. That's my son, Abe. And we were out in the back, we always take them outside, because it's kind of wise when you've got three kids and a bunch of ice cream in Florida, because you know what's going to happen, it's going to melt. So we go outside, and it melts even faster. And they cruise around the patio, and they eat their ice cream, but inevitably, every single time, what happens to the dome of the ice cream? Somebody's cruising around and doing their deal, and Doop, the dome of the ice cream falls off. And this time was no different for my son Abraham, and he's cruising around, and he's looking at it now with a three-year-old he doesn't really think about who's watching him he doesn't think about the dirt the grime the bugs the junk that's in daddy's patio he just kind of contemplates and says i love ice cream i love everything about it there's nothing about ice cream that i don't dig it's absolutely awesome i'm going to annoy my parents every day right after dinner and say i want ice cream and he does because he's realized something. His eyes have been open to the beauty and the glory of ice cream. And he's looking down at it and he's going, you know what? I, I, I'm, there's no way in heck I'm going to let that go to waste. So he, he reaches down there and plucks it out of the deal. And keep it right there for just a second. And he eats it. You know, he, and he's stoked. He's like, you know what? It was just as good right off the ground as it was sitting on that cone. And he's, he's kind of chilling there. And and then he begins to think again more. Let's switch to the next picture. He's looking down at the rest of that ice cream, and he's thinking, you know what? I've eaten most of the ice cream, but I don't want to waste one little drop of that ice cream. It's still there on the deal right there. It's still retrievable. Soon the sun's going to come out, and it's all going to be dried up, and it's going to be gone, right? So what am I going to do? I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to get the rest of it. I'm not going to let any of it go to waste at all. He's going to get in that deal. I mean, and, and it, it, it goes a little further. He's like, you know what? I got my face in it, but let's really get into it. <laughs> I mean, you don't get much closer to the dirt and the grime and the concrete. And you know what? I know what some mothers are thinking right now. They're like, first of all, I can't believe they let him do that. Right? My, my wife's embarrassed. She's like, oh my goodness. And I can't believe they actually took a picture of it. But it was a classic moment at the Harmon household. Um, The questions I have today really um, for us is, are we really blown away by God in a way that we really understand who He is, that we really understand, that we really get who He is on a minute-by-minute basis, and we get, number two, what He's done? I mean, it's a simple thing. I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm not somebody that's going to exegete scripture and give you a bunch of stuff that you know, you're going to go, wow, I learned something new today. Today, I'm, I'm going to talk about the gospel, but I, hopefully it's in a way that, that it stirs you up, that it, that it opens your eyes and awakens you to the idea that, that he is good enough to abandon everything. He is good enough to throw caution to the wind, to get on your face when his presence is around and soak up every ounce of it. To get every ounce of it. The questions I began to ask in worship were those. Do I believe it? Do I believe who God is? What, what scripture says about him? And I, do, do I believe that he's here? When worship began today, do I believe that he's here? Do I really understand what that means? I can't tell you how many times I've squandered moments in worship. Even, even as a worship leader, who I, I think I understand worship a little bit, but I've squandered moments here at River City when I knew the presence of God was here. I knew something was going on. And, and I'm either running sound and it, and it becomes the, the whole job thing. And I got to go over here. I got to go check the, the, the room where Danny is to make sure they got everything together. And I'm thinking about things. And there's a moment where I should have abandoned everything and engaged in worship. I should have gotten ministry. I should have said, God is here and been awed. But I squandered those moments. And I thought, what am I waiting for? You know, why am I, why am I waiting? Am I waiting until I get my alone time and I can pop on a little Matt Redman or Paul Buckley song? And worship and soak by myself? You know, what am I waiting for to be awed and wowed in the presence of God? Do I really feel forgiven? You know, do I really understand who God is and what He's done? Do I feel forgiven in those moments? Is He worth it? Are we willing to give up our dignity in here and give up our lives out there? Are we living sacrifices as a result of God's mercy? That's what Romans 12.1 says. Do we live our lives as living sacrifices, as a response? It's like that song that we sang, Dancing Generation, as a response to his mercy. Do I do that? And I was questioning that all week. Can I keep coming in here and let it be routine? Just be a a thing that we go through. And I was reminded this week by a bunch of teenagers that God is worth it. I'm going to read in Colossians 1, and I was going to, put all the, the stuff on the on the, on the deal, but I totally forgot. I got so excited about my pictures of ice cream that I didn't put the Bible up there. I'm so sorry. So if you've got your Bibles with you, um, turn to Colossians 1. I'm going to start in verse 15. I might hop around just a little bit. Now, when you're talking about the presence of God and and this idea of awakening to who He is and what He's done, I, I really love this passage in Scripture. I don't know if it's the typical one people would, would read to you or talk about, but it's the one that has impacted my life, and I think that will help me um, relay it to you. Starting in 15. He is the image of the invisible God. And I'm going to just stop right there. That's a difficult thing right there. That's a difficult thing. I think if somebody walks in off the street, or you've never been to River City Church, or you've never been in a worship service, and you see a bunch of people singing songs, and jumping up and down and worshiping, and you're looking around and going, who in the world are they worshiping? Where is this dude that they're talking about? The idea that we worship an invisible God is is a difficult thing to get over, I think, for some people. But that's, that's kind of the deal that we're dealing with. So it takes a measure of faith to buy into this thing of who he is and what he's done. Because we can't see him. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... All things were created through him and for him. So we see here that he is the deal. I mean, Paul's Paul's here in Colossians. What Paul does often is that they've heard all this. They know that God's the creator of the universe and they know that he died on the cross for their sins. But Paul never wants to say it flippantly. He's like, do you understand that everything on earth was created for him and by him? Do Do you get that? Do you grasp that whole idea of this, the unseen God? The unseen God of the universe, that everything that you can see is his. He owns it, he created it, and it's for him. Everything in heaven and earth, visible or invisible. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I think that's a massive, that's a whole nother sermon. Me and Beth were talking about it today. In him, all things hold together. Everything that you think is broken, everything that you think is wrong with the world, I mean, just the fraction of the tilt of the axis of the earth, that moves just a little bit, we're all toast. You know, if our oxygen levels decrease or increase just the slightest bit, I mean, there'd be an instant fires all over the earth. But he holds all those things together. And that's a whole nother thing, but it speaks to the enormity of who God is. He is the invisible God, but he is the creator of it all. He is the author of it all. He's the one that's done it. Now, I'm going to take a little uh, side trip here into Exodus 33. This is the passage we talked about at Student Life, and I have no shame to rip off something that Louis Giglio said and things that he talked about because that's what I experienced all week. It's what I heard all week, and I thought it was awesome. So, I'm going to start here in Exodus 33, and just to give you some background, the the Israelites had been um, had been in Egypt for 400 years, and, and, and Moses had been the instrument that God used to to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. They'd cross the Red Sea, the big miracle. You know, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, you know, the waters parted and the, the deal happened and everybody went across. Now they're in the, they're in the, they're in the wilderness. And very often Moses would, um, they had this pillar of cloud, which was like the Spirit of God. It was like the Holy Spirit in the, in the Old Testament. Would cruise around and follow the, uh, the Israelites all around the wilderness. And this is kind of where we are. They're, they're in the wilderness and this is what's going on. Starting in verse 7, Exodus 33, if you've got your Bible. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at the tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. I'm going to stop there just for a second. Do you know how many people there was that had exited Egypt, Israelites? Millions. Millions. I mean, I just thought about this whole, this whole deal and how many people were standing up in this place of worship as Moses entered the tent, was waiting for the Spirit to come. Millions. Can you imagine a camp? I mean, we were in a room with 7,000 people, and it was awesome. I mean, there was, a, there was some amazing ah, worship moments while we were in the deal, but I can't imagine what it was like to see t- two million plus you know, women, children, standing outside their tent in worship, in awe, in reverence to God as all this was going down. Verse 9, When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship at each of his tent, two million of them. And the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Now see, this little, little passage popped in my mind before we even talked about it. I, I, I saw that picture of, um, of Abraham in my mind as we were reading this passage in Scripture. When I thought about Joshua, this, this young kid standing outside with Joshua who would later be the instrument of conquest for the Israelites, standing outside the tent, after all was said and done, he wanted every ounce of who God was. He knew that the presence was gonna fall right there by the tent. He knew that Moses was gonna go in there and he was gonna talk to him and Joshua wanted some of that. Joshua was all about the glory of God and he wanted to be in his presence. And he stood there, he hung out. He would not depart from the tent. I just thought that was awesome. I thought that was just an awesome picture of a, of a young dude that got it. That was like, all right, here we go. I want more. I understand who God is. I understand who God is. Now, just to continue in the story, I'm just going to paraphrase here. If we move into to Exodus 34, Moses is up on the mountain on Mount Sinai, and the whole um, you know, giving of the law was 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 happening at this time. And there was this point at which Moses was kind of doubting himself. And God said, I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to be with you. I'm really moving fast through this whole this whole process. But... Moses was stoked about that. Okay, the presence of God's going to go with me. Well, Moses says, show me your glory. Show me everything that you've got. I want to see your glory, God. And God, I guess, thinks about it, or if that's what God does, I don't know if he ponders things. But he responds to Moses and he says this. He says, no one can see my face. No one. Or it'll kill him. My glory is so strong and so powerful. What I have will kill you if you see my face. But I'll do this. I'll let you, I'm going to put you in this little area in, in a rock. I'm going of shove you back here. and we'll, You can be back here. and I'm going to pass by. I'm going to put my hand over, over you as I walk by. And I'll let you see my back. I'll let you see my back. But you can't see my face. And all this took place. And that, that's what happened. And then Moses comes down off the mountain. And this is kind of, um, if you go into, you can read this on your own. If you go into 2 Corinthians, um, I think it's in chapter 3. Um, Paul goes back into it and it talks about, the veil that Moses had to wear because his face was so bright, shining with the glory of God when he came down the mountain. When he came down off Mount Sinai after experiencing God, his face would glow and the, the Levite priest would pop a veil on him to, to, to veil the glory of God. But one thing interesting about what would happen is eventually he, he could take the veil off because the glory would fade. The glory of God would fade off of Moses' face and Beth and I were having a discussion just about that whole deal. And, and um, she said this. She said, you know, maybe one of the reasons that he put the veil on is that it must have been so depressing to see it on people's face when they knew that the glory had faded. I mean, just to know that I had it for a moment. And then it, then it left. Then the glory faded. So that's one thing I want to tack on today, this whole idea of realizing who God is and what he's done that it's different today for you and me. It does not have to fade. It was different in the Old Testament. Things have changed, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. All right, back to Colossians. Um, If we look in verse 18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Big word. That he's great. That he might be great. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So not only is he the creator of the universe, not only is he the author of life, but he's a redeemer. The blood of his cross has bought us back, has changed things since the time of Moses, has absolutely flipped things upside down. We live in the life of the upside-down kingdom. Flip things upside down, and now the glory doesn't have to fade. But my question to us this morning is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that the glory doesn't have to fade? Do we really believe in who God is? Do, are we really awed and wild When you see that picture of my son Abraham, do you feel that way about God? Because I know Joshua felt that way. I know Moses felt that way. You read about David, he says, or even just the psalmist. The psalmist says, you know, one day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. He got it. Peter, James, and John the transfiguration, man, they got it. Peter wanted to set up camp right there. He's like, oh my goodness. Moses is lit up like a light bulb like he was in the Old Testament. Jesus is here. He's lit up like a light bulb. Elijah's here. We are going to set up camp and stay here forever is what he wanted to do because he'd seen the glory of God and he didn't want it to fade. Well, Jesus came. He intervened into our brokenness, into our sin, into everything that we had, flipped everything upside down. And he says, you know what? The glory doesn't have to fade anymore. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and I'm going to be in you and you are going to be in me. That's what John says. It's a whole different ballgame. The thing is, is do we really believe that? Do we really believe that that's the way life is? That's the way it is to be in the kingdom of God? Do we understand that? Do we grasp that whole, that whole concept Of who he is. I'll go back to this one. Passage in scripture. Where did I stick it? It's back in early in Colossians. Back closer to 12. It says that he's bought us back. And put us into the kingdom. Of the son that he loves. That we are sons. And daughters. We are heirs. Like Jonathan was talking about last week. And I'm kind of piggybacking on that idea of belief you know you said do you really believe that god loves you and i'm asking you this morning do you really believe that he is who he says he is that he's the creator of the universe does your posture and worship represent that does your life outside this place represent that and this isn't a beach up sermon i this is something i I preach to myself all week thinking man i am awed and wowed here why am i not in every other facet of my life Why do I not get the whole idea of being intimately connected with the Father? Do I really understand what that means? And do I really grasp it with everything that I have? And does my life represent that? Because I think if that happened, things would be different in the way that we respond to the community. We can do a lot of things in the community. We can hand out waters. We can work at Hollybrook. We can pray for people. We can do a lot of things. We can do a lot of things. But it doesn't mean anything if we don't get who God is we need to be doing those things out of a response to the mercy of God that's shown to us because we can't help but pray for people. We get so excited and we see somebody, we're like, I think I just heard the voice of God. I need to go pray for that person. I'm real nervous, but I'm gonna go pray for him anyway. Or I wake up Saturday morning at 5.30 and you can't wait to get out to the street corner because you just can't help it. I can't wait to get up. I think I got the waters packed in the back. I think I've got all my stuff. I got all the food. I'm gonna hand out a bunch of muffins. I'm gonna walk around and you know what? I might get shot because it's really in the hood and I don't know what's gonna happen there. But I'm so excited because I understand the presence of God. I felt the presence of God. I've been in the presence of greatness and it has changed me forever. The veil has been lifted. That's what 2 Corinthians says. The veil's been lifted. Many years ago, it wasn't that many, but a few years ago, um, it was pre-9-11. I don't know why I use that as a, you know, the, the boundary marker. But it was pre-9/11. I guess because we were me and Beth were going to take a vacation. We were going to um, New York City. We were going to Manhattan. We had never been there. We really wanted to go, and we were so excited about it, so stoked about going. But we were po. po I'll just say we were po. Um, we had we had no money. I had just finished. She had uh, just gotten out of graduate school, I think. Um, I was back in school, and uh, yeah, we needed a vacation bad. And we we had, I'd kind of organized. I found some super cheap tickets and I'd booked a couple of days. We were going to stay a week. I'd booked a couple of days in a hotel in Midtown. We needed somewhere else to stay. I'm going to walk down here. I just, I don't know why I'm, I'm done with this up here. Um, the, um, we had a couple of days that we needed to, to finish out. We needed to, to, to book a place to stay, and I didn't know where we were going to go or what we were going to do. Well, Beth got a, a call from her cousin. She had heard we were going to New York, and she, she calls Beth up, and she says, Hey, I've got this friend. I think her name was Karen. I've got this, this friend. She's my best friend. She was my roommate in college. She lives in Manhattan in this sweet place in Soho. And she's, she's, real, she's connected in New York. She's lived there all of her life. And she knows people. She can show you around. And she's going to leave for a couple of days. And you can have her place while she's not there. She'll let you hang out there while she is there. She's the most hospitable kind of you know, hippie beatnik person in Soho. She is just awesome. So we're thinking, okay, we don't know this person, but we're Poe. So, we give her a call, or Beth gives her a call, and um, Karen picks up the phone, they start talking, and Beth says, yeah, we're coming up to New York, and Karen cuts her off right away and says, you know what, I, I, you can absolutely come here, Madrell told me who you are, Madrell's my best friend in the whole world, we, we are like family, you'll be like my family, I, lo- I, I can't wait for you to come, it was just weird, I mean, it's kind of weird, but she was so sweet and hospitable, and wanted us to come, and was so excited, and she said, um, even beyond that, she said, you know what, I would love to treat y'all. She said, I have been friends with Gwyneth Paltrow my entire life, and we hang out all the time. And she's actually, the weekend that you're talking about coming, she's going to be in town, and we usually hang out in a small group um, and have dinner. They don't want to hang out, her and Chris Martin, the uh, lead singer of Coldplay. They don't want to hang out in a, in a big group. They don't want the whole the hoopla, but they like to get together for small kind of intimate Dinners and and do fun stuff like that. She said, "You know what? If I invite you, you can come. You can come to that dinner. You can hang out with us." And so, I I didn't know what was going on in the phone conversation. All I saw was Beth's face. <laughs> you know, I mean, how would you react? You know, the the uh, Academy Award winner, Winifred Paltrow, lead singer of Coldplay, and we're going to hang out and sit down at, at dinner. You know, I couldn't even imagine. And, and Beth gets off the phone and we start talking about it. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there was an excitement, a heartbeat for me, musician. I think Chris Martin's really cool. And, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, the whole, the whole thing. Apple, I think, is the name of her daughter. And Moses, their son. You know, great name, Moses. But the idea of just hanging out with them. I mean, and not just in a room of, a you know, like a dinner party. Like a big deal with, you know, with two 300 people like we have here. But like a, you know, 10 to 12 person deal, well, I, I might get seated next to Chris Martin, you know, you know, I probably would try to work my way in there, you know, and get in there, you know what I'm saying, I totally would, um, but, and the great, the great thing about this, this whole deal, you know, I, I just, you know, every time I think about it, I just can't believe it, but this whole vacation story, it's everything about it is true, up to the point about Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> And that kind of, kind of is like, oh man, seriously? Some of you were getting really excited. You're like, I can't believe, I can't wait to hear about the dinner and see what happened. Did they get to talk to him? Did they get to really sit down with him? No, it wasn't. That, wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't true. Everything else was. Karen was really sweet. We did stay in Soho in her apartment. It was awesome. Don't be too upset. Don't be too upset. But let me tell you something, and I'll get back up here because this is important. This is serious. It doesn't even come close. It doesn't compare. It doesn't even have, it doesn't hold a candle to the presence of God. If we get who He is and what He has done for you and for me, and that we can have a relationship with Him, we can sit closer than I can sit to my wife. I can sit right down here. That's not even even, an ounce of what we can feel and what we can understand how we can be, the intimacy that we can have with the Father in the presence of God. And there's moments that happen when we're in worship, when we're in here, that I know that we squander. Where the presence of God is here, there's something that's happening. You know, you, you know what's happening. You know the drums start going. And there's something that's just going. And the presence of God is here. And some of us are thinking about lunch. I'm like, what am I going to get? I've got to beat the Baptists to the deal over here because they always overrun the place. But there is something that happens And I tell you, it doesn't hold a candle to the most famous person that you know. They are a person, they cannot heal, they cannot save you, they cannot bring you from death to life, they cannot create the world. I mean, read some of the passages in Revelation of what your God looks like. You can't even fathom or imagine what he looks like. And then John says, I am in him and he is in me. And it's the same for you and you and you and you and you. It's all the same. More intimate than your wife knows you, than your mother knows you, than your brother knows you. And we get excited about movie stars. I do. I mean, I I, I got excited just telling my fake story. (laughs) I don't, you know, as I read scripture and as as I think about Colossians and I think about Paul, Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Something happened to him. He was blinded for three days, had to go to a a deal for somebody to pray for him. The scales fall off his eyes. Amazing things happened. And he had seen, he'd been in the presence of God. And I don't know what your story is, where you are in this whole journey of following Jesus. But I can tell you there's there's a handful of people in here, maybe more than that, and myself, that the veil has been lifted. And I I get it, not on a minute-by-minute basis, and I want to, but maybe some of you don't get that. And you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. And I I'm not awed and wowed. And that's okay. Because that's all up to the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to make it happen to you. God is going to do it. If your heart and your desire right now, and you're thinking about it and feeling that right now, God's going to do it. Because it says in Scripture, if you seek him, you'll find him. He's going to be right at your door. And he's going to wow you. And there's something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And we're gonna, let's stand right now. We're going to go ahead and move into ministry. I have no idea what we're we're doing for ministry. I hadn't even thought about it. I just got so excited about all this other stuff. But we're going to move the first five rows of chairs.